Well, if you have a Bible this morning, we've been walking verse by verse through the book of Titus. So we'll be in Titus. It's in the New Testament. Titus uh, chapter 2 today. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, it'll be on the screen for you in just a minute. And as you're turning there and getting ready for that, um, I just want to let you know something that I thought was pretty cool. Um, we are elder-led church, and one of the other elders here at the church is named Tom DeCorn. Many of you know him. Many of you don't. Tom's not here today, and Tom would love to be here, but he's at the Grammys. So, um, you know, uh, he's a tough guy. He suffered for Jesus. I just thought that was pretty cool, because how many people that, that, that go to church in Hartsville ever go to the Grammys. I thought that was pretty cool. So when you get back, you can be like, hey, big Mr. Big Time. He's going to love that I told you that, by the way. And so uh, you can you can uh, direct all of Tom's frustration and anger towards me. Okay, I just thought you need to know that. Um, that's free. Good morning. I hope you're ready to dive into God's Word today. And we're going to read in Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, but as for you, Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-control, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the Lord that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger women to be self the younger men to be self-controlled. Verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Now, that is a large list of of characteristics for these different generations in the church. And so here is what is the tendency that can happen when you get to a place like this, when you get to God's word and you see a big list. And Paul, if you look at Paul's writings, there are big lists. And here is what you do. And I know, I know you, 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 don't, you wouldn't maybe say this out loud, but here's what we know. When we read long lists of something, people check out, okay? You know that, right? It's like, uh-huh. Get somebody to recite their grocery list to you. See if you're enthralled by that. Now, this is obviously, these are the words of life. This is God's word. But even in that, it becomes Charlie Brown's teacher at some point. Self-control, you know, purity, da-da-da, da-da-da, da-da-da. So here's what I want us to do. I'm going to outline for you four things that you can take away and look at this passage because there's some very important truths that are talked about here. In fact, this, this passage is about four things, and I want you to be able to take that home and be able to look at this passage and go back and read it. And one of the reasons we go verse by verse through a text of Scripture is not only to, to reveal the whole counsel of God, but it's also this, so you can go back later on and, and, and throughout the week as you remember what God has spoken to you through the Word at church, you can go back and say, okay, now I can have a framework to read this again so God can jog your memory. I don't know about you, but I have to write lists everywhere. I forget everything. I even forget a lot of times. Oh, so everybody, uh, there is a gray Dodge Ford outside, and your alarm is going off. That's not a joke either. I've just been told that. So if you drive a gray Dodge Ford, and you, you're going, I hope nobody's stealing your car, but it is going off. So now's your chance. We'll let, everybody look back up here. So if the Dodge Ford owner needs to leave, that's fine. All right. See, distractions happen, okay? And we forget what we're doing. Well, we run into all these different situations. 
point included. And so here's what I hope we can do. We can give you four points in which you could go back, and as you're looking in, in this, and you need reminders of what God has spoken in this time, you can go back to the text, and you can remember these four things. And, and so here is how I want us to understand this text. First and foremost, this text is about transformation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man or any woman is in Christ, they are a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. And so what we have here in Titus is Titus has been writing to, the, to this church leader, or Paul's been writing to this church leader named Titus, and he's supposed to instruct the church in Crete, this kind of debauched area of the world. It's kind of known for sin. That's where we get the word Cretan from, okay? Cretan is not usually a good thing to be called. And these people, it was a wild, wild, it was the wild, wild uh, Mediterranean, I guess you would call it, not the Wild Wild West. And so they were, he was in this place and he was establishing elders or leaders, pastors, teachers in the churches, and then he's combating false teaching that's going on in the churches. And he comes and he talks about the, the leaders in the church and their character in chapter one. And he also talks about, in this particular situation, that different segments of the church, older men and younger men, older women and younger women, how they ought to conduct themselves and how that should be different because they understand sound doctrine. Because what does he teach here? In, verse, in chapter 2 of Titus, verse 1, he says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound, healthy doctrine. If you were to go to the doctor and they would find nothing wrong with you, they would give you a sound or a clean or a healthy bill of health. And so that's what, we're, what he's saying here. Titus instruct these different age groups, demographics in the church that make up the church and how they ought to live in light of the good news of the gospel because doctrine is what we believe. It's the teachings of Scripture. It's what the Scriptures say. And it should be healthy. And here's the thing. Understanding the gospel leads to a new birth, which leads to transformation of your life. Let me get that real quick. When you hear the good news of Christ, which we've talked about several times this morning, we hear about his body broken, his blood spilled, his resurrection, his ruling and reigning. It's not just facts to be believed. They are that, but it's more. Once we believe, we have a we are we are new creations. We've become different. The old person is gone, and now we have been awakened, brought back to life, and now we are being transformed by God's Spirit. And that is what these characteristics represent. When you see a list of characteristics or things you're supposed to strive for in the Scriptures, it's not, hey, everybody, buckle up. It's time to get self-righteous up in here, and you need to be better, and you need to do better, because you know what that will immediately do? It's like flogging yourself. It's like this, this beat down of all beat downs. But the gospel says this, believe and be transformed. And we put work and effort into it, but all of our work and effort is empowered by God and the Spirit. So when you look at these, these great characteristics, you need to see a transformation being ha- that's taking place. And so let me get you this. Even if you've been in church your whole life, even if you are acquainted with the good news of the gospel, if you are not giving any signs that your life has been transformed in any way, that you are not a new creation, and you don't have a heart and a desire and a power in you to obey. Let me get this, let me just be honest with you. You may just believe facts, and you have not become to the place where you trust Christ and have been made new. 
Because if any man or woman is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away, and all things have become new. You are set on a new path. You have a new, new, you're born again into a new way of living. You are now part of the family of God, and now you can reflect the character of the family. And I just that that's, that's really important because I grew up in church as a kid. And I knew some of the most hateful people in the world who knew a lot about the Bible. They used to beat people to death with it. And I knew some people too who knew a lot about the Bible, but they knew Jesus. And they were different. And I would hate for us to be a church full of people that know a lot of facts but don't know the saving, transforming power of Christ. Because these, this list that we, that we have here for older men, older women, younger men, younger women, these lists of characteristics are something, it's a part of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Second thing I want you to see here is that this is about mentorship and discipleship, okay? So the first word is transformation. The second word, and I'm going to get, this is, I said I got four words for you. Okay, the first one was transformation. This other one, I got a high, like a, a slash there because mentorship and discipleship go hand in hand. Mentorship is something you understand from, you know, you know, somebody mentoring you. Discipleship is really the Bible word for it, which you're showing somebody how to follow Jesus. And so here's what we see here. Note this in verse 2. What is Titus, or verse 1 of chapter 2, what is Titus supposed to do? But as for you, and this is a command from Paul to Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So his job is to teach, mentor, or discipleship, especially the older men and the younger men in the church, but also the whole church in what it means to follow sound doctrine, okay? And so that's part of what it means to be a mentor or disciple is to lead someone towards following Jesus. Now, if you go and you look at at what Paul has said before, this is in keeping with his teaching. If you go to 1 Corinthians uh, 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says this, Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Which we had just talked about last week with our students about being imitators. Mentorship, discipleship is coming alongside someone and saying, I'm following Christ. I'm going to teach you how to follow Christ. And so that's all throughout this text when we see this in all these different ways. Also, just know this, Okay. The Great Commission is found in Matthew 28, verses 17 through 21. The Great Commission is something, if you've been in church for a while, you've heard. If not, you may have heard it and not called it the Great Commission. And if you haven't heard it and you're new to this, this is cool. Because here is Jesus' some of the last instructions he gives to his people before he ascends into heaven. And we got Matthew 28, verse 17 through 20 says this, and when Jesus, and when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Remember, this is after the resurrection. Verse 18 says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, why would Jesus have all authority in heaven and earth? Because he died and rose again. And who can do that? It showed that he is God. And then he goes into verse 19. He says, go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, followers. Then it says this, baptizing them. So this is the part, this is what baptism looks like. Baptizing them, which is a symbol of what Christ has done, of believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Sound doctrine. Teaching them. To observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
to now we we kind of jump we we love to go and tell people about Jesus and that is awesome but you know Jesus says to go make disciples and to teach them to observe which means obey all that is an important three letter word right you follow me on that all means all okay we like in our culture in the South here, even if you're not Southern, you have heard the word y'all. And that's very that's a very big term. If you say all y'all, you mean everybody. All right? That's like the everybody some everything. All y'all better get if you're if you were in trouble as a kid and you're playing with a whole bunch of a bunch of people, usually the parent would call you out. If you're, if you're at the house acting a fool, the parent would say, you, hey, y'all come here, which means you come here, okay? But if they said, all y'all come here, you're bringing everybody. Everybody who was playing and making a mess. Like, all y'all better get in here. So here's the thing. All of the things that Jesus told us are supposed to be taught by his people and making disciples. So all of it, the whole counsel of God, teaching the whole thing. That's what discipleship is. And that's what, if we go back to the text here in Titus, Paul is following the commands of Jesus. And he's also, we go back to Corinthians passage, he's saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And he's telling Titus, Titus, you teach sound doctrine. And eventually, if you go down to verses 7 and 8, he says, Show yourself, Titus, in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that, opponent may not be put to shame, that so an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. So, Titus, you teach what's good, and you teach what's good in a way that is full of integrity and dignity and good works so that no one can revile you. So what is he calling Titus to do? This guy who's called as a pastor and, and kind of functioning in a, an apostolic way because Paul's given him this deputized um, thing to go and, and, and plant churches in Crete. His job is to disciple these people. And discipleship is not just about teaching or mentorship is not just about teaching, especially in the scriptures. It's about having character that backs up what you're teaching. Because I want you to know something. The God of the Bible, the God who in the person of Jesus came and died on the cross, is a holy God. And, it, and that means set apart, different, altogether holy. And he calls his people, first off, he makes his people holy through, through a righteousness that he gives them through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he works on his people to make them holy through a process the Bible calls sanctification. And he's working in them to make them holy. So that is another transformation of the gospel, being a new creation, leads to transformation. If that's not there, then you're not following the true gospel. Because there is a link here between what they say, what, what, what the apostles say, what the teachers say, and what they do. I don't know if you've ever done this before. You've told your, your kids something that they should do, but you obviously are not doing it. You ever done that before? Be kind. Be kind to people. And I'm just going to, this is the pot calling the kettle black here. You, Johnson, you got to be kind to people all the time. And then when I drive in the car, I am not kind to anyone because everybody's stupid. Okay? 
And you're just like, why are you doing this? You have a brain cell. And, you're, and they're like in the back, like, let's see, hypocrisy, dad. Thought you told me to be kind. Not to a dumb person. Can't drive. Thank you for that. There are not just road. If you don't suffer with road rage, you pray for me, okay? But also, there's any number of these situations. And so the Holy Scriptures teach that our teaching must accord with our behavior. Not that, not that we're perfect, but that is a necessary part of it. He is supposed to, Titus is supposed to function as a good example. And so discipleship, mentorship in the Bible is teaching sound doctrine, teaching the Scriptures, but also exemplifying a life that is striving for holiness, striving after God. And that's what we see here is this discipleship pattern, this mentorship pattern in the scriptures. Titus is supposed to do it, but if you also look in verse three, in verse two, it says, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love and in steadfastness. So they're supposed to be example, obviously, because they're supposed to be self-controlled. If you bump down to verse, um, to verse 6, it says, Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. And so the older men are supposed to be an example of faith and action so that the younger men would follow it. And then it gets even more pointed when you get to older women and younger women. In fact, if, if you would have to say this is one of the great passages for women in the church, I want to tell you something. Women in the church are unbelievable. I mean, they really are. Women in the church have been a backbone for so long. And we know, men, that we need to step up and rise to what we are called to. But we need to just give it up for godly women, too. Because this passage is about older women and younger women and the way older women should invest and teach younger women. Because look, in verse 3, it says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slave to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled. And so the idea here is these older women are supposed to know sound doctrine, to know the Lord, and, and to be an example in the life. Not a perfect example, but enough of an example that they can put their arm around somebody who's growing in the faith, a younger person who is experiencing these things, put their arm around them and walk them towards maturity in Jesus Christ. I'll tell you something. That is something that is necessary. It should be a necessary part of the church's life is discipleship and mentorship based around the scriptures, but ultimately also our behavior and our character as we do this. And so that is a part of what God has kind of written into our code is is we're supposed to be about mentorship and discipleship. So that's the second word. So, you know, I'm getting a little away from it. So we got transformation, mentorship, discipleship, if you want to kind of walk through this. And then I want you to notice this. The, the thing that is appearing between all of these different groups, we got older men, younger men, older women, younger women. The thing that appears in every one of these situations is the word. And yes, this is one word. There's a hyphen, okay? But it's still one word, okay? Self-control. I want to show you where that appears. Look with me in the text. In Titus 2, it says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are supposed to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. Go ahead and circle that if you got a copy of God's Word or if you got to highlight it on your app. 
because that is a major idea in this text. Because here's the thing. When something is repeated in the Bible more than one time, it's emphasis. Each form of communication gives emphasis in a different way. Okay? You know that to be true. Example. If you want to communicate something via text message, all caps, emojis, exclamation points, right? That's what you do. Have you ever had somebody that just, I have, there's just one person that sends me every text they have in all caps. And every time it's like, hey man, how are you doing today? I mean, that's why I'm reading it, because they're just, it's like all caps, like, everything is emphatic. Okay, and maybe that's how I am to them. So they think they need to rise to my emphasis and then do that. But what we see in scripture more times than not to emphasize a point is not that, you know, it's not the emojis, it's the repetition. So older men are supposed to be all these things, and we're going to walk through these, these lists, but I'm trying to give us a framework to understand the list so we don't sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. Older men should have self-control. Verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, or slaves to too much wine, where well, there's the self-control issue right there. And then uh, verse 3 says, and you're like, man, I came for the day. We got wine up in here. It's getting crazy. Verse 3, it says, they are to teach what is good, or they are to train is another way, because this word is actually of the same word family as self-control. So how can you train someone to be self-controlled if you don't possess that quality? There's an assumption that these women have come to the place of self-control. Not fully, but largely their lives can be characterized as these lives of faith that are full of self-control. It'll be like this. You know, um, you, you watch those military movies where the drill sergeant comes out, and usually the drill sergeant in the movies, like the army movies, is always like just super ripped and buff. And he's like, hey, Maggie, how are you? You know, you little boy, you'll run this way. You know, and he can do all the stuff that they can. Could you imagine if they brought out the drill sergeant who was like a gastropod, like, oh, okay, can't move, can't work out, like, everybody needs to be tough, and he's on his hover round, okay? Would that, would that work? Would you take, and no offense if you're on a hover round, I love you, now you're free to see the world. I'm glad those are there, okay? Don't write me an email. All right, so. But if you get to that place, you're not, you're not saying, that's, a, that's somebody I want to follow into battle. They have the self-control thing down. No, they're supposed to train, and that's, that's assumed that these older women have that. If you go down and you look in verse 4, and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled. So the older men, they need to know self-control. The older women, they need to know self-control because they've got to train people to self-control. And then the younger women that they're supposed to mentor and disciple, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to have self-control. And then we see in verse 6, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Do you see a pattern? There's an emphasis on self-control. Now, this is not necessarily about pushing the plate away or pushing the bottle away which is talked about here. But if you look in Galatians chapter 5, there is a dichotomy in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, of walking by the flesh and walking by the Spirit. Those who are walking by the flesh, which means our unredeemed humanity, our crooked desires, 
There's a whole list of sins that, that they, they can be exposed to. In fact, I'll read a few of them to you. It says, but I say walk, Paul would say, and this is Galatians 5, 16, but Paul says, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So if you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit saying no to sin and yes to godliness and you have the flesh going, yay, sin, no to godliness, okay? And then verse verse 18 says, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Verse 19 gives us the, the fruit or of the flesh. And it says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Now I'm about to read you a list. Don't zone out on this list, okay? Because this is important. So here's what comes out of, the, of being in the flesh, of following a unredeemed, the unredeemed part of your humanity. Evidence, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envies, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And that got that, that list downhill. When you got to the drunken orgies, that got real weird up in here. And so here's what happened. A life that is, that is full of unrestrained desire or no self-control and that's what all these sins are, sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? That you have a good desire from a good God for, for sex, but you meet it in the wrong way, immorality, in an ungodly way. And so that desire is run amok and has taken you down. Anger. There's a part, you go to Ephesians chapter 4, and it says, be angry but do not sin. When, so there's a way to be angry that's righteous and a way to be angry that's not righteous. And when we, our anger boils over because it's that way. You ever been angry? Maybe I'm the only one who's ever been angry, but some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. Don't struggle with that. You get pupils dilating, sweat, get your face red. You got to stand up and walk around. And so here's the thing that happens when the Bible says it's, you're capable of being angry and not sinning. These are righteous things to be angry about. But when that, when that boils over, that feeling boils, boils over, then it's sin. And that's what we have here, fits of rage, all these things that comes from, a, a, from the unredeemed humanity. And then what does he say that the fruit of the Spirit, because there's this, there's this dichotomy between our flesh and our spirit. And here's what he says, verse 22 of Galatians chapter 5. And I'm going to sing this to you a little bit because I know a song that taught me this. But the fruit of the Spirit, it's not a coconut, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, pace, patience, patience, love, joy, pace. No, I can't, I can do it right. All right, sorry. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what is the last one? Self-control. So I'm proving something to you that I originally said. These lists don't come from our own power. They must come from the Spirit of God's work in you. And yes, we have to strive. But where does self-control come from? It is a fruit of walking in the Spirit of God. And so all of these people are called to walk in the Spirit and to be self-controlled. And what is self-control? It's not being controlled by your desires but being led and to be able to fight and resist our desires running amok by the power of the Spirit of God to say no to sin and yes to Christ.
And that is only possible through the work of the Spirit in your life. So when you look at this list, I want you to see that God is all over this. When he gives us things to do, he also gives us the power to follow through. And we should put our effort in, but we always have to remember it's, we're only empowered by the Spirit to do it. I was sharing with this with the students. Gentlemen, I'm going to give you the analogy of a leaf blower, okay? Ladies, hair dryers, all right? I know there's some men that use hair dryers. No, no harm, no foul. I don't have to, obviously, okay? My hair's dry when I do that, all right? Or my scalp's dry when I do that, all right? But if you are going to use your hair dryer or your leaf blower, right? Both are great things. Both do, do some awesome stuff. If you turn on the power or you turn on the switch to on and it does not function, what are you going to check? See if it's plugged in. Because those things, <laughs> try to use one without it being plugged in. They're completely inept. Okay, Try to blow dry your hair without it being plugged in. Okay? You're just you're just whacking that thing against your head. You can you're generating wind by moving it. There's no when there's no power, there's no there's it doesn't function. Same way with a leaf blower. You got a terrible rake. Okay? You're just doing that. You can't do anything. But once you plug it in, then there's great power and a great ability, and that's what we have when we are walking in the spirit and we're abiding in Christ, we have power to accomplish these things. And so I want to put that, because we're going to walk through the list. But before we walk through the list, I want you to see here, this is a product. What he's talking about in these different people's lives is a product, a product of gospel transformation. Secondly, it is showing that older men and older women have a responsibility to mentor and disciple those younger than them. And that those younger than them are to walk in the Spirit. And everybody is supposed to walk with self-control, which means saying no to sin and yes to God, which is empowered by the Spirit, but something that we all must strive for. And thirdly, fourthly, I'm sorry, we must all pursue these, this character that's seen in the Scriptures. Go after it. When we read some stuff like this in the Scripture, if we're reading it through transformed mind and heart when we read lists like this it should give in us a great desire to follow through because these characteristics are the characteristics of those who are pursuing god and we should desire those things so older men i want to walk through here's what older men should pursue and i want to walk real quick through this list so now that we've set the framework to understand it i want to walk through it and to see what what is required or what older men should pursue and as far as character? In verse 2, it says, older men are to be sober-minded. Now, that has the idea of not being, uh, not being drunk. And, and if you've ever seen drunk people, they do dumb things. I lived in Gainesville, Florida, behind a bar in front of another bar in the student ghetto. People would do really dumb, terrible things when they got drunk. They would use our washing machines as as receptacles for their puke. I'm like, when would you ever do that? I, they would turn over, regularly turn over Coke and Pepsi machines. Not to, not to get Cokes out of them, just to turn them over. Okay? They would do all sorts of dumb things. I found a guy one time sleeping behind our dumpster. When would you ever, in your right mind, want to sleep behind a dumpster? When have you ever been in a situation, if you're in your right mind, to be like, you know what would be great? Nice nap behind this dumpster. 
move that rat over, and I'll lay right here and take a nap. Nobody in their right mind would do such a thing. And so sober-mindedness is, is the idea that you are walking with a clear head. A clear head. A clear head that is, that is rooted in truth. And you understand why you're here, what you're created for, and you move accordingly. You don't act foolishly. Then it says dignified, which this word carries the, some similar idea of self-control. You are walking and operating in a way. Men of God who are considered older men of God, they should walk in a way that, that their lives show that they have been walking with God. And they have, there is a dignity to that, that, they, that you can look at them and say, man, I'm not embarrassed by that. I want to walk in that. That doesn't mean that you're not going to be embarrassed by the fashion choices they make or something like that, but this is like their way of life. When you look at that person, and you know those people who are like, man, when I talk to them, I know that they're walking with God, and it's evident to me. Now, here's the thing. When I say older men and older women, there's probably none of us that really want to jump in that category. All right, and also note this. When we talked about the leaders of the church are called elders, and you're going to notice something that Though we are older than some, Tom and I are in our 30s, which does not make us eld necessarily, okay? But we are functioning in a place where we have been spiritually mature and called to the point that that's where we are. And so to be older, if you don't go ahead and write this off. Like, I'm not older until uh, I start drawing social security. That is not how the Bible sees this. There's, kind of, there's some grand leeway here. And, there, and also this can depend on your spiritual maturity. There are people who, who are younger that are very spiritual mature and should and who are in positions that they should act as if they were older spiritual men. So don't get hung up on that. But those are definitely things that you want to. Don't you want to be somebody, to stand up at your funeral, not just to tell the funny stories about you, but also to be like, I knew they walked with God. And they, they operated in such a way that I could tell that they had been with God. Self-control. And then it says about these older men, they, they're sound in faith and love and in steadfastness, which is similar to sound doctrine. So we see here they're supposed to be sound in faith, which means they have a strong, healthy faith, a personal faith in God. They are full of love, and they are full of steadfastness. Steadfastness means they hold tight. They keep going. And here's the thing. Usually what three things do you see, see together? Faith, hope, and? Or faith, love, and? Hope. I gave it away. And so what's a byproduct of hope? steadfastness. When you have hope, you stay the course. And so these older men, their lives should be, hey, even though I see that that I'm not as good as I once was, I know that I have hope that even though my outer body's being destroyed and wasting away, I'm being renewed inwardly. And so older men should walk with that. And if you're not an older man in here, you should strive toward these things as you follow God. Now, older women in here, and Lord have mercy, I would never point any of you out because you all look 29 to me. God bless you. You look so young and vivacious. Just know that. Say that in Jesus' name. Older women likewise... The responsibility here to be reverent in behavior. Now, when you say reverent in behavior, that word reverent has a bad tone sometimes, and it just means some different things and it has some weird connotations. But the real idea of this this phrase, reverent in behavior, has the idea of somebody who is serving and is before God in the temple. So it has the idea of somebody who lives their life as if God was ever present. You know what's kind of dumb? You ever been in a situation where somebody would say, 
you're doing that in the church house? You ever heard that before? I can't do that. I'm in church. I just said that in church. Like God's not omnipresent. How about this? If you wouldn't do it before a holy God, maybe don't do it. Because when you walk through these doors or you walk through a church's doors at some building that has a steeple, God's present, but God's also present at home and at school and all these other places. And so that's just kind of foolish. So the idea here is that these ladies walk as if they are always, they always are aware of the presence of God. That's what, that's what God's calling more mature women in the faith to do. This is not to be slanderers. Now, slanderers has to do with this word slanderer is also another name for the devil. And his great job is to slander God's people. And what is slander? To say evil things to say bad things. And he wants the women, the older women, to realize in the church that what you say matters. And sometimes when you speak, even though you think it innocuous, even though you think it's small, that if someone, if you are spreading or saying things that are not true or wicked or gossip or just unkind out of the spirit, you could be doing the work of the devil in the congregation. That gives a whole new meaning of, I'm just saying, or bless their heart. Because if bless their heart could be, now Satan comes out, okay? And that, is, that should not be of a mature woman in Christ. They should not be slaves to too much wine. Okay, just be clear. The Bible, the Bible does not, does not say alcohol is wrong. It does give us many cautions and warnings about it. And in a culture, you ever seen the shirt where it says wine o'clock, wine o'clock, wine o'clock, wine o'clock, wine o'clock? And anytime you turn, it's like wine, 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 wine. If you keep posting about wine and drinks and all that kind of stuff, you might have a problem. I'm not saying that even kind of funny, because a lot of time we get upset. We our hearts are idol factories. You know that, right? We'll find things to worship. And in our culture, we got a booze hungry culture. Look at I mean, binge drinking is a big problem. And older women doesn't mean they have to abstain from alcohol. But we need to be very cautious. Because older men are supposed to be sober minded. Older women are supposed to not be given to too much wine. And if you are at the place, I'm going to just give you some, this is some free advice. Where you think you might be doing too much, you probably are. And it was probably two glasses ago that you were doing too much. And so let's not take a good gift of God and demonize it. But let's also know that we are supposed to walk with self-control which means we are trying to, what does Paul say? Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And so we must not glorify something that is God-given and good and overuse it, overindulge in it, or glorify it as it is a God. And that is some older women we must watch out for. And apparently this was an issue in Crete. And so they also says, don't be slaves to too much wine, and they are to teach what is good, to train other ladies to younger women, especially younger women. And it says, so train young women to love their husbands 
and children. Now, I want you to know something, okay? Because there are some of you in here, when I'm talking about older men doing this and older women doing this and older women talking to women in the household, some of you are going like, let me tell you something. Women's power, okay? Just, you just need to step off, okay? Because I am woman, hear me roar. I love you in Jesus' name. And the Bible talks about women and men as equals, equality, but created for different purposes. And there is an assumption in the Scriptures that most women will get married and have families. Paul, though, does not say that's the only way to live. Just like an elder has to be dignified in his family life, that doesn't necessarily mean an elder has to be married. It's as if they're married, then they have to do that. But there's an assumption here. 95, 99% of women and most men will be married at some point. And so there's an assumption here. Not that you, not that you can't mentor older ladies, a, a lady who is single, that's not the idea, but said if they have their family, then you need to encourage them in a world that belittles people for caring for their children and thinking that is something lesser to encourage them in the faith, to love their husbands and to love their children. There is nothing wrong with loving your husband, ladies. Guys, try to make it easier, okay? But, and many of you do, and I'm not, I don't make light of that. But there is a whole idea, and if you watch television shows, there's a whole idea that the husband is just a complete dummy. Sometimes we can be dummies. But God has created us to lead and to be godly and to teach and to lead the church and lead out in these ways. And ladies, you're leading too in this different role of coming belong, alongside women and saying, yes, it's cool to love your family. Yes, it's right and good to love your children. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, this does not preclude working outside of the home. Look in Proverbs 31, the Proverbs 31 woman. She is industrious and works outside the home. There are some Bible thumpers at that point will be like, <gasps> You read the whole thing, okay? Yeah, it's there. It's okay, but there should be, in ladies, a ability to nurture and love inside the home. And you are, you are wired for it. Some of you may be more difficult than others, but it, it's there. If you don't believe me, when your husband has a cold, how does he act? I know how I'm like, I'm a three-year-old, help me. I don't know how to use the, <laughs> the refrigerator. I mean, I just can't use anything, okay? Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're like, suck it up, guy. God bless you. I am a complete wimp. Okay, what I'm saying. I get the man cold, hardcore. When your kids get hurt, who do they run to? Dad's going to be rub some dirt on it. Mom's going to be like, come here, sweetie. And they may, mom may still be like, suck it up later, okay? Because moms are amazing. But there is this idea here that older women are supposed to teach younger women how to love their families. It says this, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home. That doesn't mean exclusively working at home, but making the house a place, working in the home to make it a good place, a safe place for the, the family to be. It also says this, um, to be, uh, be self-controlled, pure, which means without spot, working at home, kind. And then it says, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. 
Now, the last one's a little bit controversial. But I want to tell you, it's not really controversial if you actually think about it. Because the submissive, note this, who are the wives, these young women, supposed to be submissive to? Their own husband, not all men. You got that? That is not saying like every woman is lesser than every man. That is not what the Bible's saying. In fact, it is, it is on purpose, it's very pointed in saying that each woman should be submissive to her own husband. This is, a, this is a submission of the will. It's something that is a choice here. It is something that when a woman marries a man, she is saying, I am going to put myself underneath your leadership and you lead. It doesn't mean I'm not part of it. It doesn't mean I, have a vo- I don't have a voice. It just means I'm going to bow down to the biblical order of things, and I'm going to say, I'm going to follow you. Because what country works well with two presidents? Most of the time, this one doesn't work well with one. Remember the times in history where they had popes? Again, the Catholic Church doesn't work great with one. When they had two, it was a nightmare. Somebody's got to take charge and take the lead. The Bible idea is that men are supposed to take the lead and women who are equal but have for different roles, they're supposed to come alongside, be the helper. Men are supposed to love Christ as Christ loved the church. And ladies are supposed to be submissive to their own husbands. That's why if some ladies, if some guy who is not your husband comes up to you on the street and says something like that, you can knock them out in Jesus' name because they got no hold over you. But it's just true. And that's why older women have this unique way. And you should not look at, men are supposed to be the primary teachers in the church over the whole congregation. We go back to 2 Timothy chapter 12. That's what Paul tells Titus. It's not because women aren't capable. And women can have a huge ministry of teaching other women. And why is that any less? I could argue that the ladies who can teach ladies and preach and teach the ladies have great power. And could do fantastic good. You ever heard of Beth Moore? She's all right. You ever heard of Priscilla Shire? Yeah. Man, these are ladies, and there's a whole bunch of them that you don't even recognize. They, they teach, and ladies being the backbone of the church, there's great power in that. Jesus, Jesus was one of the only rabbis in history. In fact, I think he was the only one up until that point who included women and those who would follow him. Jesus loved women, affirmed women, but he also affirmed a biblical understanding of the way God has arranged the house and the family. And so older women are supposed to mentor younger women, and a house and a home is not something to be looked down upon, but it's something that you have been given this ministry to. And if, you, if you're at the point now where your house and home is empty, kids have moved out, Yes, you got a ministry of your grandkids, but man, you got a ministry in the church. And some of the greatest ladies that I know in the church have taken on kids, young adults, teenagers, as kind of another mom, another grandma in the faith. So amazing. We see finally here, verse 7, that men, And if you've ever been a young man, you know this. And if you've ever just been a man in general, here's what the major urge here is. Likewise, urge the young men to be self-controlled. Sometimes when only one thing is said, that gives a lot of emphasis to it. To not run amok. And then what Titus is supposed to do is he's supposed to show himself in all respects to be a model of good works and to teach, showing integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may not be put to shame. 
so that, a, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about this. Jump, jump if you would, back up to the end of, the, of, the, of verse 5, where it talks about women. It says this, do all these things, at the end of verse 5 it says, that the word of God may not be reviled. So somebody will look at the word and say, it doesn't do anything. You just believe all this stuff and there's no power to it. That's what our lives will show is that there's power in the scriptures. And Titus, is some, Paul says something very similar to Titus at the end.